welcome to episode 37 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Zagari. And today we are going to talk about High Noon from 1952, which received seven nominations at the 25th Academy Awards. It won four, best score, best song, best film editing, and Gary Cooper, the man, the myth, the legend, <laughs> won for best, won for best actor. Uh, even though he wasn't, he, he was not there. He wasn't at the ceremony. John Wayne accepted the the award in his be on his behalf. Hard to say those words out loud. <laughs> um, right, right away, Gary Cooper. What do you, what comes to mind when you think of this guy? Sergeant York, uh, gobbling turkey noises and shooting Germans. <laughs> That's my immediate. <laughs> Gary Cooper image every time. I, I love it. I love it. He's, he's come up on this show uh, just, you know, with wings. We had no idea who was in that until we watched it. We were like, wait a minute. Is that fucking Gary Cooper? Oh, God, it is. <laughs> uh, and then he, he came up, you know, and um, when we did the Mank episode, you know, we we're talking about, you know, Mankiewicz and, you know, Citizen Kane. Uh, so we talked about Pride of the Yankees and he's wonderful in that movie. But, but, you know, we're in different territory here. We're talking about High Noon, maybe his best performance ever. Uh, is that what you think? High Noon, I don't know if it's his best performance ever, but it's definitely his best movie, I think. Okay. Yeah. I like High that. Noon. It's, it, it's, it's hard to say. You know, I haven't seen the Westerner. There, there's a few movies that, like, I know I need to knock out before I can totally say what his best performance ever is. But I, I see what you mean. With High Noon, it's just an outstanding movie that kind of is an outlier uh, in its own genre, uh, in its own time, and just kicks ass still. <laughs> Seven years later, so that's really cool. Well, it's a film that goes against every other Western of the 50s. It's a movie that stands on its own because no one else would ever make something like this in 1952. In the midst of the blacklist, in the midst of McCarthyism, this is a movie that, you know, a lot of people have said is wholly un-American, a film that trashes wet, like the traditional Western American values and in a very honest and brutal way, which is incredibly ahead of its time. This film, we're still talking about it today because it feels like something that could have been made last year. It's, it's remarkable. It, exactly. Yeah. It, f- it feels like something that, yeah, some, you know, 30 year old directors, it's like, look at this kick-ass action movie that's an hour and 25 minutes and <laughs> just kind of whips around. There's really cool dialogue. And I, I don't know, man, this is my first time seeing it. Yeah. And I, I was stunned, <laughs> completely stunned at times. And I'll, I'll be watching it time and time again. I, I, I want to go ahead and speak a little bit about, you know, the blacklist thing. You know, I, I want to get your take on that. I know you've done some, some research and this is kind of a, an area of film history that you're really interested in. So I kind of want to open the, open the floor for you to, to speak on high noon and that situation, the blacklist. Yeah. Um, of course. So in the fifties, uh, Senator Joseph McCarthy was leading up the house on American activities committee in Congress where he was ripping apart anybody who was accused or thought of, you know, or considered being part of the communist party. It's called the red scare. And this, you know, wasn't just colleges and government. It went, it got into Hollywood actors 
careers were destroyed. Other actors were naming names. One of the guys who named names was John Wayne. He was a, you know, staunch Patriot, despite having, you know, never served. He was very pro war and pro American values. And he trashed a lot of careers. And one of the guys he named was, uh, I think the guy who wrote High Noon. And he, like they made High Noon almost out of spite. And it was a film that reflected anti-American values as in, you know, it's not the, you know, unflinching hero who saves the day. It's not the town that rallies, you know, rallies behind him. It's a man dealing with a conflict of conscience while the town no longer believes in him, which is not what, you know, that's not the wholesome American ideology that every other film was reflecting in the fifties. And when you have that, and when this film's a success, it starts making waves and people start, you know, thinking about things they're not supposed to be thinking about. And John Wayne goes out of his way to make a response to this called Rio Bravo in 1959 with Howard Hawks, who also fucking hated this movie because of the way it portrays Americans. And this film, you know, shattered John Wayne and Gary Cooper's friendship. Wayne saw Cooper as like a, you know, the cop, straight up communist. That's what this was. And weirdly enough, despite all that, it was criticized in the Soviet Union as glorifying the individual. <laughs> so not even the communists saw this as a communist film. It was just people, you know, projecting their own bullshit onto this film. And it's, it, it's definitely worth more research. I have a book uh, called High Noon that's about all of that that I have not gotten to read yet because I'm in grad school and I'm very busy. But I, it's a great, it's such a brilliant uh, insight and a really cool era of Hollywood that a lot of people really don't talk about anymore because it's so goddamn dark. That's it. That's it right there is that it, it's, it's something that people want to avoid. And I think you and I want to tackle those things. Oh yeah. <laughs> we, we, we immediately are kind of entranced by that part of Hollywood, the edgy, dark, nasty parts. Cause we want to know, we want to hold the whole fucking thing accountable, <laughs> the, <laughs> the whole, the whole industry. And, you know, we did a whole episode uh, over on Filmgasm about John Wayne and watched a bunch of his movies and really, really dug in and, you know, learned a lot through, through that episode. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to say I learned a lot about film through watching <laughs> his movies, but I, but I really, really am grateful for those moments where you just kind of look at everything. Uh, I love when a film like Trumbo comes out where it tackles that, that kind of idea and brings it to light. And that was something that influenced me to, you know, go back and do my own research. I think it's really important to bring up and this movie high noon having a what people thought was this you know super conservative republican <laughs> playing this character and how it's lasted this long as this kind of at this point it's kind of like this character study and it's comp compared to great films and looked at as one of the best westerns people who don't like westerns like it, <laughs> it it's it's totally above totally above it man you know any any criticism that that it can that it can get it it does what we want movies to do it kind of st stretches the genre stretches what characters can be on the screen and whoa then you get a you get a whole different world and 
that's happened so many times on the show. And I knew that was coming on this episode. I've heard so many things about high noon. It's hard to avoid it when you love movies and you listen to people talk about movies. Yeah. But I finally got to see it for my, you know, with my own eyes and it's, yeah, it for sure is a, is a, is a damn near masterpiece and something after I rewatch a few times, I'm sure I'll catch more and more tricks that are, that are so amazing. Cause I think that's why this movie moves so well. So there's just tricks happening over and over. And uh, you got at the center, Gary Cooper, just crushing it. Well, also, you know, in the midst of the Hayes code, which we keep bringing up on the show, cause it's so damn of course. every time. It's huge. It's there's huge so this few, era. Yeah. There's so few films made during that era that actually were honest depictions. And high noon is yeah. one of those films. Yes. High noon caught a lot of shit specifically because the girl rescues the hero at the end. That did not happen. That was new territory. And like, to me, I was more like, yeah, like for me, it was a big moment of like, yeah, she stood by him. She's like with him. That was good. That was a good, that was a cheer moment for me. But back in the fifties, people were like, fuck that. I mean, that's crazy. And one thing I do love about this movie is also representation. Uh, we have a actual, like a Mexican American actress playing a Mexican character and not just that, but a strong individual, which is awesome. Like it's not a caricature. It's not, you know, brown face. It's a, it's a solid, she's a solid character. And I mean, this film just, there's so much to like about it. I feel like this should have been the template for films in the fifties. Like people, instead of ignoring the values it was trying to proclaim people, Hollywood should have looked at this and thought we need to do more of this. This needs to be what the stories that we tell. And they didn't really do that until like, you know, the sixties. Yeah. Yeah. No, until late sixties, seventies, we've brought that up over and over on the show that once the Hayes code kind of gets, you know, annexed in the late sixties, you see stuff changing. It's, it's obvious in American filmmaking, things start changing rapidly and you have to credit films like high noon for opening the minds of the previous generation. And yeah, you know, like for filmmakers in the nineties who are influenced by films of the past, you know, it would be like Taxi Driver or, you know, one of those amazing, you know, one for the cuckoo's nest. Like, that's what it would be. You know, the equivalent, you know, the 20 years before that is High Noon. You know, <laughs> you know it, it really is one of those movies. And it's, it's going to be a treat to talk about it today, man. Uh, I, I want to start off by talking about some of the individuals before we, you know, of course, we're going to give our awards out later. But before we do all that, I, I really do want to talk about the individuals here. And, you know, we've talked a bit about Gary Cooper, but before that, I want to, I want to talk about Fred Zinneman, the director here, yeah. a guy that, a guy that you and I can't seem to uh, escape. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> on the, on this show. I, yeah, I made a, a bit of a fool of myself back in the apartment episode. And we talked about the sundowners didn't realize Fred Zinneman had such a beautiful filmography, despite the fact that I had seen this before. <laughs> and yeah, I just, I'll never live that down. <laughs> But hey, I stand by the fact the Sundowners was shit. But high noon, that's that's where it's at. So yeah, I'm glad I've uh, Fred Zinneman. You've redeemed yourself in my eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think so. And then you know when you look at his uh, filmography, like he said, uh, here, here it is as far as the Oscars Oscar nominations go. It's uh, best director for The Search, 1949. 
Uh, winner for best documentary, short subject, Benji, 1951. Uh, we got best director for High Noon. Of course, we're going to be talking about that. Uh, he won for best director, From Here to Eternity. Mm. A, mo- a movie I cannot wait to do. You know, uh, Burt Lancaster is a guy I just want to chase now. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, he's wonderful. And uh, Elmer Gantry, I know you got to watch Atlantic City recently. Yeah, for no apparent reason. And uh, <laughs> it was it was great. Yeah, it, I actually I advise you when you watch Atlantic City, think of it as a spiritual sequel to Elmer Gantry, and it's amazing. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Noted. Noted. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I I can't wait to talk about that one day. And uh, but back to back to Zinman here. He's you know he keeps going. He uh, nominated for best director at the Nun Story, nineteen fifty nine. Uh, nominated for uh, Best Picture and Best Director, Sundowners. We mm. both watched that. We Neither of us really liked that one at all. Um, one Best Picture and Best Director for A Man for All Seasons, of course, and then nominated for Best Director for Julia, 1977. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite, quite a list there. And I, you know, I can't say much because I've only seen, seen two of these. Yeah. You know, one of them I really, really, really like. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one I'm not interested in, but for whatever reason, you know, when I see this amount of stuff going on, I'm just inclined. I'm inclined to, to know what's going on and try to watch them all. And so eventually I'm going to do that. Yeah, of course. I mean, a lot of those films have been on my list for years, a man for all seasons specifically. I've exactly. A very long time. And uh, yeah, if this guy is a guy we're going to for sure explore on this show. Yeah, so there's there's a couple there that you know he'll he'll come back at some point, uh, of course, for uh, best picture showdowns with From Here to Eternity at some point, and A Man for All Seasons. I mean, those are both ones that we'll base episodes around. So, oh yeah, uh, very very cool, very cool, and I'm I'm excited that there's individuals like that that we're going to just explore and discover and be like, oh my gosh, you make these cinematic connections. Oh yeah. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's part of, part of why we do this. Hell yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, G- Gary Cooper, let's, let's look at this guy's Oscar resume. Uh, oh man, pretty cool stuff here. And these are all movies that, uh, I think everybody should, should try to check out because the man, the man rarely misses <laughs> <laughs> Gary, Gary Cooper. Uh, he's won two Oscars of course for high noon and, uh, Sergeant York. But he's also won an honorary award <clears throat> that was in 1961, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and he's also been nominated for Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, nominated for Proud of the Yankees, and For Whom the Bells Toll. Uh, we've, we've talked about all of those, like brought them up in some way, and we both watched the Proud of the Yankees. Mr. Deeds Goes to Town is the one that I, I know I got to see. That's been on my, my list for a long time. Oh, yeah. I've heard good things about this. He's, you know, I've, love Frank Capra to death. That guy has yet to disappoint me. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm for sure in for uh, Mr. Deeds goes to town uh, for whom the bell tolls is one that keeps coming back up. I know, dude. Yeah. We should have, we should have watched that for, uh, I believe the Ingrid Bergman one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have yeah, those yeah two you know, Titans uh, together. My God. Yeah. You know, these things, they start, I'm telling you, they start just kind of connecting, especially these older, you know, when we do these older decades, there's just so, 
so little going on as far as uh, what's at the top uh, at the Oscars. And it, it starts connecting. It starts connecting whether you uh, look one way or the other. <laughs> but yeah. Gary, Gary Cooper, man, there's there's a lot more going on outside of his Oscar nominations. You know, he's he's a breathtaking guy. You know, I, I was reading quotes about him from other actors just kind of talking about him and stuff from Daniel Day Lewis and Tom Hanks and all these all these just kind of legendary guys and there there's kind of a universal respect for him as a performer and just as a a dude <laughs> you know it's a pretty cool dude and and I I really like that you know I I worried a bit you know as I started reading just kind of this connection to John Wayne he had and then, you know, you watch High Noon and start reading about High Noon and it changes everything. And I, I like Gary Cooper more now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, him being, you know, such an influence to those, to the greats of today, it's not surprising, but it, it does make me smile. And I love that he was, you know, for Daniel Day-Lewis to say that Gary Cooper is awesome. That's, that's exciting. <laughs> and yeah, no uh, kidding. the fact, the thing with John Wayne, I mean, We've all had friendships where all of a sudden we realize the guy we the guy or girl we know is not the guy or girl we know. We've all had those situations where we're like, oh shit, you're a monster. <laughs> and that's what happened with Cooper and Wayne. I mean, it's a shame, but yeah, John Wayne's a prick. I'll say that forever. Yeah. No, yeah, there's there's no doubt about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. You know, you talked about one of the really cool parts of the the plot of this of this film high noon is that the woman saves the day and it's uh you know the lovely grace kelly an absolute star uh, has been nominated <clears throat> twice and has won once uh she won for the country girl 1954 and was nominated for mo gambo so uh have you have you seen either of those uh no but i I'm very against the country girl win because it, to me, she stole it from Judy Garland for a star is born. I'll never <laughs> forget that. So I have not seen the country girl yet, but I'm already going in with a, you know, bad disposition on that one. <laughs> maybe, maybe just a little bit biased. Hey, yeah. we she all, was, we all do that. I think she was, yeah, she was the princess of Monaco um, after she retired and then she was killed in a car accident. She had a very strange life. Yeah, super interesting. And someone that uh, you you hear the name here and there, mm-hmm. you know, Grace Kelly, you hear it, you hear it around. And but when you really dig in, you realize, like you said, you're kind of this kind of dark, dark life. And seems like a lot of these uh, Hollywood actresses, once you start doing that research, these old Hollywood actresses, they, they had very interesting lives and not always fun to read about. Well, at least Grace Kelly wasn't bleached Rita Hayworth style. I'll never forget that one. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's, yeah, we could bring up a lot and it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's nasty. It's terrible to eat this, this industry that we, uh, that we love. We know how just, just twisted it is at times. And you and I like to bring those stories up, you know, just like we like to bring the blacklist stuff up. We, we also like to look at these different weird stories and that's part of like why we started Filmgasm, you know, doing the podcast is to do different, kinds of genre films and different takes on them and look how far we've come. <laughs> I know. Right? I think about that all the time. 
Uh, oh, man. Grace Kelly, I want to spotlight two movies specifically. Of course, of course. Rear Window and Dial yes. in for Murder. Uh, yeah, you, you know, you got to talk about the Hitchcock stuff. Yeah, yeah. She is lights out in these movies. And they're both such great crime dramas, suspense thrillers that you're just on the edge of your seat the whole time. Rear Window, especially. That movie has one of the most oh, yeah. pulse-pounding yeah. climaxes I've ever seen. And uh, yeah, I just, I love that she has this whole connection with Hitchcock. And she's an actress, another actress I really want to further explore. Uh, but I've got a couple under my belt, which is nice. Hell yeah, man. I, I love that. I love that. Any, anytime you can connect Hitchcock to, <laughs> you, know, you know, an actor that understands what he's doing and totally gets the pace. Yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful because he's obviously one, one of the most, you know, not just the, one of the best, but one of the most important filmmakers of all time. You know, his influence is still, still going right now. Oh, hell yeah. He's, he's a guy who you can kind of see him. You can see flakes of Hitchcock in like every horror <coughs> made post-1960. It's crazy. Like there's a little Hitchcock all over the map these days. He's, he might be the most influential filmmaker of all time. Yeah, I, th- I think it's definitely possible. <laughs> oh, what, a, what a cool title, you know. Uh, definitely a dude that is pretty intimidating to do on this show. Yeah. You know, there's, there, there's filmmakers that are, uh, that, are, that are tough. It's tough to, first off, within a week, watch, <laughs> watch all you, you really need to to, to, to have the full Hitchcock perspective. Uh, very, very difficult, you know. Um, but one day, one day I want to do that, you know, and it's, it's going to be very difficult to pick which film. Well, I believe we got a Best Picture Showdown coming on uh, eventually with Rebecca. So that might be a good place. Yeah, of course. Of course. You know, that's always good if we can touch on it, you know, within a, a showdown. That's that's that I'm fine with that. But he's got, you know, Oscar nominations up the, like, out the wazoo. I mean, we could do Rear Window. We could do To Catch a Thief. We could do like it's all over the place. North by Northwest. He's got so many incredible movies that have just, you know, one or two nominations that really like we could do an entire friggin' series on Hitchcock. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's my main thing about it being intimidating is that if you base it around one film, you got to talk about them all, you know, <laughs> Hitchcock is a, is a guy, you know, you know, last week we did, we did Boogie Nights last week mm-hmm. and we went down the line of Paul Thomas Anderson. It's a lot easier to do that than to go down the line of, of Hitchcock's career and really tackle everything. And, but I still want to do it, <laughs> As do you I. know, and, and that's really cool that you, you find that connection in Grace Kelly and just two really cool performances. So I, I love that. Oh yeah. Awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, these are individuals that are Fr- Fred Zinneman, Gary Cooper, Grace Kelly. These are people that are, they're going to just come up inevitably throughout the show and it's always good to highlight those people that's what that's what we like to do you know on oscar sundays who are the people that they think are important and do we do we think that they're worth uh all this this praise and uh my opinion gary cooper you know watching uh, sergeant york and watching high noon for the first time this week i just both kick-ass performances you know i can't say that he deserves it over all these other guys because i haven't seen those movies but he is breathtaking you know he just uses his eyes it's all that's all he needs to tell you what's going on and i, I love the guy so that's 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 definitely the individual uh, uh that i 
was most inspired by this week. I want to talk about one more guy, one more Oscar winner. Of, of course, of course. Mr. Thomas Mitchell. Yes, he's the, he's the next man on the, on the bill, yeah. Thomas Mitchell <laughs> is a guy I first learned about when I saw It's a Wonderful Life. And he's a guy who kept popping up on films that I would watch pre like 1950. And I looked at his filmography and he is just all over the place. He's in so many amazing iconic films. Yeah. Um, he won for Stagecoach in 1939. He mm-hmm. was also nominated for The Hurricane in 37. And he's just a really cool presence. He's one of the, I think one of the first character actors, Thomas Mitchell. And, uh, yeah, just a guy I kind of wanted to throw out there. No, yeah, totally, totally necessary. Yeah, uh, I, I was wondering if you're going to do that because I know <laughs> I, I usually pick pick a pick a few if we're doing a movie like this. Pick a few individuals who have some who have like our Oscar decorated. And I I saw Mitchell and they had the two from the 30s, uh, and I <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to do that. Uh, I'm I'm quite proud uh, <laughs> when you when you talk about his filmography, you just go on IMDb and you see the first four movies, <clears throat> Stagecoach, Gone with the Wind, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> that's a, you know, that's, it's about as strong as it can get when you're looking at a guy's, uh, <laughs> you're looking at a guy's front four on IMDb. <laughs> How good is your career when High Noon is not among your <laughs> most recognized films? <laughs> yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. Uh, we we love bringing up bringing up bringing up the character actors. You know, we have an award named after Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Thomas Mitchell definitely fits under that kind of category, right? A guy who brings something totally different uh, to the table. Uh, definitely, definitely want to see the Hurricane. That's a one of those random '30s films that I, I'm just I have my radar on now because of this show. Love it. Love it. Yeah, it's 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 beautiful. Uh, you know, you open doors and realize how much you don't know. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh man. Um, high noon, seven nominations. I want to go through those. Uh, just kind of talk talk about what we think. Maybe it deserved to win. Maybe it deserves some other nominations. Uh, but I don't necessarily want to talk too much about the other 1952 movies because we just don't have a whole lot of say. I really want to focus in on high noon uh, and we'll give our awards out soon. But uh, I, I do want to talk about these seven because it was, it was amongst uh, at the 25th Academy Awards. High noon was amongst the most nominated movies uh, at that show <clears throat> along with the quiet man and Moulin Rouge. Okay. Going into the show, high noon was like, this is winning, like guaranteed, like no doubt. Everyone was like, yeah, like it's, hundred percent like this is this is what's happening and it was it's looked at as one of the biggest upsets you know i've looked at many lists that have the greatest show on earth in like the bottom five best picture winners of all time uh it is just got this reputation of being being kind of shitty and one of those when you look back it's just uh kind of obvious and it's just kind of highway robbery uh, high noon is right there sitting in front of you and you gave it to this other, you know, kind of silly, dumb movie. So, uh, <laughs> I, I kind of love when that happens because it gives high noon, this whole other reputation 
where it can be kind of like the rebellious film, right? That like Citizen Kane lost, you know, High Noon lost, you know, you there's movies that lose that kind of gain something from it. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally, man. It's funny because I, um, when it comes to films before like the seventies, I get a lot of my recommendations from my grandparents because they have actually, they actually have seen all of these films. They grew up with these movies. Yeah. Yeah. So my grandma, so cool. Off, so yeah, cool. <laughs> pretty cool. My grandma has oftentimes told me that the greatest show on earth is one of the worst movies to ever win best picture. So I trust her on that. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, um, you know, half interested in, you know, doing an episode on that, you know, obviously it'll be a while before we come back to 1952, but basing a show around a movie that you have heard from so many people that it's bad. It's going to be hard to go into that thinking positively about it at all. Yeah. Yeah. True. But sometimes, you know, it, we find a silver lining or sometimes we just, it ends up, you know, living up to its reputation. I mean, we don't know yet. We, we haven't had to award a bad movie yet. A bad movie. I don't, I really didn't like Hamlet. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Like, I don't think it's bad. It was just boring. Just boring. It's boring and lacks, lacks a, you know, lacks a bit of pizzazz for me. It's, yeah, it's a bit boring and a bit dull. But I don't think it's like out of its way bad. And I, I, I think there are movies that I've seen that have won Best Picture that are kind of out of their way bad. So I don't know, but but that's to- that's totally the worst movie we've given awards out to. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And so, like, it would just be really interesting to you and I go into a movie we haven't seen yet, and it just be shit, or you know, and it really just is is horrible. We have to. F- I think it would be kind of funny if we had to find awards for it. <laughs> yeah, I think it would. Yeah, I mean, Hamlet was a bit of a struggle, but I, I, I think we could push it even further with, with some of the Best Picture winners. <laughs> yeah, I think we could. We've got a lot of to pick from, and there's no way all of those films are masterpieces. Yeah, no, 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 definitely not. There's no way we both think that they're great either. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's, gonna, that's going to happen. High Noon is different. Uh, you had seen it going in, and you you had good things to say. You're like, oh yeah, I'm. Re- you you were really keen on rewatching it, and I was like, oh, I can finally knock it off my my list. You know, this never ending list in my head of movies that I need to watch that are just there. That at most I need to pay two ninety nine to watch. Like, just do it, Austin. <laughs> uh, High noon is on that list, and I, I finally got to do that. So. Uh, let's go through the seven nominations. You know, we have, we have four winners. So I want to go through uh, the, the first three, you know, we got best screenplay, best director and best picture. Are these ones that it should have won to you off the off just base knowledge of what, what you think, do they deserve these nominations? They definitely deserve the nomination. And I think this deserves the win for screenplay. Yeah. Yeah. Off of that's, definitely my like favorite thing is how a bare bones dominant badass the screenplay is just so good so awesome 
And that is my favorite thing of these three. You know, I really can't say about Best Picture because I like to see the other movies. <laughs> you know, I really like to have that, that, you know, that perspective. But with the screenplay, it's hard to believe that uh, a movie can be as just kind of precise as this one. Yeah, I haven't seen The Bad and the Beautiful, so I can't judge if that's, you know, that more deserving. But mm-hmm. of, the, of those films, I've seen High Noon and The Quiet Man, and I would give it to High Noon. Hell yeah, man. And uh, Fred Zimmerman for director. You like what's going on there? I do. I do. I think he is very uh, generous with his camera when he needs to be, but also pulls back at the right moments. I think he he's his experience tells this story. You need somebody who understands what they're making with High Noon because it's not your grandpa's Western. It's not another John Wayne movie. It's something special, something unique. So if you don't have the right guy behind the camera, that's going to fall apart. And I think that uh, Zinnemann knew what he was doing. Hell yeah, man. Yeah, that's <laughs> he's, he certainly uh, got you and I interested. You know, he's he had our curiosity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before, before Carl Foreman is the guy, the screenplay that that was that was the gentleman you were talking about earlier yeah. when we first brought up the blacklist, you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> That combo, Foreman and Zinneman, that, that's one of my very, very favorite things in filmmaking is when, is when you get a guy who is writing something pretty daring, uh, especially for its time. <laughs> and then you get a director who just is just like, uh, yeah, all right, this is a, I'll take this story on. Like, let's, let's see what we can do and totally understands how to utilize Gary Cooper. Yeah. I mean, I mean, geez, you talk about how, you know, with the camera moving in, moving out at the right times, it's all about, all about Cooper, you know, making him this larger than life character. And then in moments making him look really small and yeah, just brilliant stuff. And I love when there, you have a combo like that. I, something like Aaron Sorkin's one of his most daring you know, screenplays is the social network one. And you get a guy like Fincher on his side. I love when that happens. I love when you have two different minds kind of tackling the same idea from different angles. And it shows, it shows because there's like a balance, you know, and sometimes I feel like that's uh, just the, just the right, just the right one, two punch that, that I need uh, as, as a fan. Cause uh, I personally watch so many movies from people who are writer directors, you know, yeah, And so it, it's nice to see a one-two punch like this. I'm looking into this about Carl Foreman. Yeah, yeah, of course. He was a, um, he was not technically in the Communist Party, but he had been at one point. And his films, he said, were very much about the individual who is facing a hostile environment, which is high noon, straight up. But um, he was named uncooperative by the the HUAC, the House Un-American Activities Committee, because he wouldn't name names. Stanley Kramer, uh, filmmaker, director, found out about this, forced Foreman to sell his part of their production company, tried to get him kicked off of High Noon. This all happened in the middle of writing High Noon. And it was Fred Zinneman, Gary Cooper, and Bruce Church who intervened and got Carl Foreman to stay. They got him, like they saved his career, basically. He, uh, he moved to England before High Noon was released nationally because he knew he would never be again allowed to work again in America, in Hollywood. 
And uh, it's crazy. Like this all, this was not, you know, a hundred years ago. This was, this was not that long ago. And yeah, it's a so, witch hunt. 70, 70 years ago. And you, know, you, you talked about how your grandparents, you know, know these movies like the back of their hand and it's movies that get passed down to our generation. You, you, you and I, we very much want this kind of stuff to stay alive. Uh, you talked about Stanley Kramer. He's a producer of this movie. And man, what, what a fascinating story behind the scenes of a movie that's being written about a character that's in a hostile environment and, <laughs> and Carl Foreman is indeed while writing, uh, enduring a hostile environment. Uh, just, this is like what movie making is all about, all about, you know, this is what filmmaking is, is for, you know, the, the medium is for stories to be told, you know, yeah. stories, the, 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 uh, the art of storytelling through filmmaking to be, to be pushed, to be challenged. And man, that's really cool. You know what the craziest <laughs> Carl, part? Carl Foreman. Yeah. The craziest part of all of this is that Stanley Kramer was a guy I was just really starting to respect as a filmmaker He's the guy who did Judgment at Nuremberg and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and Inherit the Wind. Like he was great at telling stories of human triumph over horrific shit. And he's the guy who tried to get Carl Foreman kicked off his film because of the blacklist. How fucking hypocritical is that shit? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. It makes you, makes you think, you know, makes you think about those other movies. Like, wait a minute fucker yeah <laughs> damn it <laughs> yeah yeah for sure you know this is this i i mentioned earlier you know kind of in a joking way but i think it's serious you know you become a kind of obsessed with movies and then you realize how kind of dark you know the industry is and then you start opening doors and you're like whoa there's a lot more, a lot more going on than I, than I realized with just this stuff that's happening on a big giant screen. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's, what's, what's happening behind the scenes is this whole, whole different world. And when you hear something about, you know, a guy like Carl Foreman, who's just has to like flee the country, essentially, yep. it's, it's scary stuff. God, it really bums me out about Stanley Kramer. I'm going to be thinking about that for quite a while. Damn. Well, yeah, yeah, man. Ah, <laughs> oh, geez, dude. <laughs> what other Oscars was High Noon up for? Well, those, those, you know, those are the three: screenplay, director, and best picture. Those are the ones that it's nominated for, and then yep, the other ones, the other four are all winners. Yeah, just pure dominance. You know, uh, Gary Cooper, of course, wins for uh, best actor. In a lead role, we have Best Film Editing, Elmo Williams and Harry Gerstad. Uh, Best Original Song, Dimitri Timokin eh, and Ned Washington. Uh, <laughs> Timokin? Tiomkin? I don't know. Tomkin. Tomkin. With the I? I'm sorry. I didn't know. I didn't know you pronounced I'm, it that way. I assume it's like Tiomkin. Tiomkin? Like yeah, yeah. Sounds like Cartman saying it. <laughs> Dimitri Tiomkin. Yeah, maybe that's right. Yeah. I don't, anyway, uh, those, you know obviously the music is a, is a big deal film editing and then the acting. So those are kind of, <laughs> it kind of captures all the things uh, that you want, but is there anything missing for you? Oh yeah. Yeah. There. Yeah. For sure. 
Let's hear it. <laughs> um, best supporting actor is Katie Gerardo. Okay. And best supporting actor, Lloyd Bridges. I like that. I like that a lot. Lloyd Bridges is yeah, something else. <laughs> it's, I think that as good as Cooper is, there's a lot of other really amazing performances in this film that got overlooked. Uh, but they were so good. Lloyd Bridges is playing so like when you look at, you know, fifties Westerns, you look at the sidekick, you know, the guy who's got the heroes back, no matter what he's, if anything, he's a caricature. And then you got Lloyd Bridges, you know, shooting that character in the face by being a complete selfish bastard. And it's so brilliant. And you know, that's Jeff's dad. Yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. It's, the dynasty of that family just gets me every time. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. It's amazing when you start, uh, we talked about connecting movies, you start connecting families. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> Incredible stuff. Uh, you know, you talk about Lloyd Bridges. I, I think, I, I don't know if he should have been nominated, but Sheb Woolley as Ben Miller has this, uh, has this way, has this way where I'm like, whoa, seen that before. <laughs> I've seen some fuckers copy that exact same thing, you know? And he's, he's, he's playing this kind of like stereotypical, you know, guy, I'm going to go get some liquor, you know, <laughs> I, I, I really, really, really was interested in that character. Anytime he's on the screen. I loved seeing Lon Chaney jr. I, like in a straight film, it was, especially as like a guy who's, you know, he was the marshal he's past his prime and he realizes he's no good to anybody anymore. Like, He's playing a broken man, essentially. And it's so cool because I've only ever seen him as the Wolfman. And to see him play kind of, you know, well, like the last generation's hero is really cool. Uh, yeah, I think this was toward the end of his life, too. Uh, Lon Chaney Jr. Let me confirm that. That's tough. Yeah, let's see. Uh, oh, no, never mind. He nice. looked at 73. <laughs> Maybe it's makeup, but he looks really old and sick in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he just he just looked that way. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Uh, oh man, that's fantastic. Yeah, you know you could go through really this entire cast, and they're all just kind of shooting and going for it, and it all works. You know, uh, Ian Ian McDonald. You know, uh, Harry Shannon. Uh, Otto Kruger, everyone really does does a wonderful job in this movie. It's an hour and 25 minutes and it packs in just these perfect, perfect scenes with this awesome dialogue that just keeps building and building and building and eventually you get a really cool ending. <laughs> yeah, we get a young Lee Van Cleef as Colby yes, going yes. on to be Angel Eyes and the Good, the Bad and the Ugly, you know, dominate the Italian Western uh, scene. It's, it's so cool. Like there's so many, you know, things about to happen in high noon. It really is such a jumping off point for a lot. And yeah, it's, it's one of the most influential films in history. Yeah, for sure. And before we uh, move to our awards that there, there is one more thing I, I, I want to just kind of discuss and that's, that's Westerns. Ah. The, you talked about how influential it is. Well, what other Westerns do you think kind are kind of in 
maybe not in the same category, but somewhere near high noon, you know, once upon a time in the West, stuff like that. Is there anything else that kind of just jumps out to you that kind of is an outlier and goes, go, goes above and beyond? Um, I can name one from the sixties that uh, might surprise you because John Wayne's in it. Um, that would be the man who shot Liberty Valance. Okay. Okay. Uh, Jimmy Stewart and Lee Marvin. Cause it's another film that plays against your expectations. Lee Marvin. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in already. <laughs> it's, it's an awesome movie and it's about a, you know, a Senator who's celebrated for being the guy who took down this notorious outlaw. But as we learn through Jimmy Stewart telling the story, he's not the one who took out the outlaw. He in fact is a coward and he's been living off somebody else's legacy, his whole career. And yeah, another film just you don't see in this era. Films that kind of treat the Western hero as almost like something not to aspire to, but something to avoid. Like it's a hyper-masculine identity that's just going to get you killed. Like it's not worth it. I love films that played with that because there's there's not enough of them. And I mean, we see it a lot now, but back in the 50s and 60s, you didn't touch that. No, and so you you want to see that with the older lens, like it's cool to see those outliers because mm-hmm. with that different kind of pace of film and the old style, it's a cool aesthetic. And then it's even cooler when the storytelling and filmmaking is just on point, like High Noon. <laughs> it's so rewarding. Oh yeah, the the westerns, like for me, I'm I'm super amateur when it comes to westerns. Like, I, it's not a genre that I go out of my way for um it's something that you know there hasn't been a bunch of stuff in the past decade or so that's like strong in that genre fair enough so you know i'm 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 26 years old so like that's the most influential time for me obviously the past 10 years uh for watching movies and you know hostels is pretty good and like I think it's 2007, a 310 to Yuma is pretty, pretty dope. Oh yeah. You know, there's, there's those there that have been there like in my life and I've like really enjoyed and kind of latched onto. But as far as, you know, it goes for, for these old ones, you know, high noon and once upon a time in the West, just kind of, kind of stand above the rest for me. Uh, other stuff kind of blends together and yeah. I, I probably, I probably need to seek out more things. I, I've heard the Westerner is, is, is a cool one for, for Cooper. So I'll probably, I'll probably seek that one out sometime soon. Have you seen a uh, Leone's dollars trilogy? I have, but it's been quite some time that that's a good one. That's something that's well past due for reevaluation for myself in my own mind. That's a, that's a good one to bring up. Thank you. Yeah. The, in the, you know, sixties, the only ones who were really making masterpieces in the Western genre were the Italians. They were yeah. creating something really special and I recommend seeking out as much of those as possible. I mean, we saw, you know, once upon a time in the West was fucking awesome. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, you know, and thanks to that, we got Clint Eastwood's career and he, you know, made a whole bunch of seventies Westerns himself. I've seen a few of those. I'm not a fan. I like, of- the, I like the good, the bad, and the ugly. I like, I like that one. That one's cool. That one's bitching. Uh, I'm not a fan of high plains drifter. I thought that was kind of generic and actually like, really weird the main character like our hero is a rapist it's hard to root for that um i wanted to see hang him high for a long time 
Because that's got such a cool idea, like a cool premise. Clint Eastwood is hanged at the beginning of the movie, survives, and goes on a manhunt for the guys who like lynched him. <laughs> yeah, I, well, Clint Eastwood is a, a dude who was clearly influenced by Gary Cooper and was like, I'm going to play characters that are not heroes. That you yeah. do not, you do not look up to this guy, but he has the same costume as the guys that you have looked up to and be like that's the hero no 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 no. this guy's this guy might save the day for some people but for others he's gonna fuck it up (laughs) that's why i love unforgiven because unforgiven is (sighs) man like the spiritual sequel to every western clint eastwood ever did he's playing the character of bill money is the man with no name after he settled down and then after you know, it's so cool to see this guy who's like, I was a killer, I murdered hundreds of people, but now I'm okay. Like now I've settled down. And then to go back to that to be like, you know, one last ride for you know for the for a good reason. Like I gotta channel that darkness again, but this time for the right reasons. That's awesome. <laughs> and I love that's why I love the Western, because it's it's so every film has a little something to say about mm-hmm. the nature of America. And if you'd really like sink into that, you can really find some like a lot of cool messages. Even the worst Western says something. I love that. That's great. That's great when a genre genre can do that. You know, not not all of them do, but but it's the the, the Western can give you some uh, some kind of morality towards the end. Like, hey, you know, step up. A lot a lot of the old westerns are, are a lot about you know stepping up, doing the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> why high noon is so cool because it's yeah not. yep i mean yeah actually that's something i wanted to ask you like in this film do you think that will kane is doing the right thing i i, I what i uh, yeah let's go ahead and let's go ahead uh we'll we'll let this bleed into our awards i i i think high noon and this character kane it's it's great. I don't think that he. He's, I think he's doing what he has to do. He's surviving, he's just doing what acting by nature. Um, and I don't see anything wrong with anything he does. Uh, I at the same time don't just like flat out admire him. You know, I, I don't totally know his whole backstory, what he's exactly all about which is part of the beauty of it too, which is why I see it just as like this weird character study. Like <laughs> I, I don't know exactly what this man is as, you know, as a sheriff, you know, the situation I see him in is a bunch of people who are just willing to watch things happen, watch things go by, which is how a lot of people are. A lot of people are, quick to avoid situations or step to the side or this or that. So I, for me, high noon is just a realistic take on a guy who instead of running is like, I'll just go ahead and go ahead and see what happens here. You know, Uh, at least I know the lay of the land and I love movies like that. That just kind of lay that kind of shit in front of you. And it's not, it's not always up to your own interpretation. Sometimes it is just what it is. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. You know, there's a lot of different ways to look at this. I've, I don't know, I've, to- I've kind of gone back and forth on this. I think that he's, he's got 
good intentions. I think Kane really does believe that Frank Miller is going to burn this place down. He's like, he's not a good person. He's a bad person. He's evil. But at the same time, I think he is putting the whole town in danger by staying there because he's, he's the one Frank's after. I, I think he could, I don't think we'll ever know because we don't get to see what happens if Kane hightails it at the beginning and Frank shows up and does God knows what to Hadleyville. I don't know. It's uh, it's interpretive. Yeah. It certainly can't be good. Whatever happens to that town. Uh, obviously once this guy's gone, uh, these, these, these people, yeah, are just, uh, like I said, just willing, willing, willing to avoid. True, but not just willing to avoid, they're willing to let Kane die. For oh, yeah. A man who's protected yeah, yeah. them for so many years. A man they all, you know, loved at the beginning of this. They were all, you know, they were at his wedding. They were so happy for him. But the second shit goes down, they're like, it's not my fight. And yeah, I'm going to hide. Yeah. It's rough. It's, this, this film does kind of go out of your out of its way to make every character except Will incredibly unlikable just because of the way they treat him. But upon a second viewing, I kind of got where they were coming from. It's, I don't know. There's a lot to unpack with, with High Noon. It's, it's what makes it what it is. Makes it this gray movie that you can rewatch over and over and you might flip back and forth. You might not know. And that's that's the best, man. You know, I I love films like that that you can look at a specific character and ask yourself, "What would I do? Is this the right thing? Ah, shit, is there a right thing?" <laughs> yeah, because when you're dealing with evil, you just it, it's uh, becomes unpredictable, and I, I kind of love that these these kind of outlaws represent evil just kind of coming to a town they don't know what it represents exactly it's like a tornado they don't know if it's gonna sweep up everything or if it's just gonna kind of roll through the town they don't know they don't know exactly what's gonna happen and uh kane is like uh, i i kind of need to see what happens and be here for it and try to steer it steer it out because <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, it's tough man it's really cool i love it and i i think it's gonna be really fun doing these awards and i think we're just gonna inherently keep talking about this movie because yeah. that's what we do we have uh, we have the Tarantino Award for best screenplay or not best screenplay best quote or best line. <laughs> that'd be that'd be interesting. What's the best screenplay within High Noon? <laughs> I'm gonna go with High Noon. I thought that had the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, best best quote or line. Uh, then the uh, Ennio Mor- Morricone Award for best music moment. Uh, and then we have the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award for best performance in the movie, and we have the Roger Deakins Award for the best scene, best moment of the movie. So Connor, take it away with your Quentin Tarantino. So my Tarantino comes pretty early in the movie. Uh, okay. Right about when Kane finds out Frank Miller has been released from prison and he's on his way, possibly. And he tells Amy, like, I got to take care of business. I got to do this. You know, I put him in jail. He's going to come after me. I have to end this. And she says like, you know, why are you trying, like, why are you trying to be a hero? And Will responds with, I'm not trying to be a hero. If you think I like this, you're crazy. And I thought that defined his character so perfectly. Like, I don't want to do this. I have to do this. 
I'm the goddamn yes. marshal until the new guy shows up tomorrow. This is my town. I'm defending it. Like, fuck yeah, man. Like, how do you not rally behind that guy? <laughs> Fucking Cooper, Gary Cooper delivering to, you know, just like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're just kind of in. Okay. You know, totally on his, totally on his side. Like, yeah, let's go, dude. You got this. Oh, man, I love that. I, mine also comes from him. Uh, he's just, he's astounding in this movie. Uh, it's later on in the film, though, and this is uh, you, you talked about how when shit hits the fan, the uh, the community starts to kind of kind of fade, yeah. <laughs> and th- th- this would be uh, one of those one of those last moments where he realizes, oh, I'm I'm really I'm really alone, uh, and he says, "Go on home to your kids, Herb." Oh man, and that's yeah. I think that's when he kind of swallows the fact that he's gonna have to he's gonna have to do this by himself. You know, Herb Herb was the last last man standing with him, and then it became truly the last man standing. That whole scene is so goddamn heartbreaking. Herb from the beginning, you know, when he first goes in there, Herb's like, "We're gonna do this, right?" Will I got your back no matter what. When's the rest of the guys coming? <laughs> Kane's like, "You are the rest of the guys," and he's like, "What? I can't do this. I got kids." Will like. It goes like there's no loyalty at all in this town. It's every man for himself. And that really is, you know, America. That's the world. People are most, there's very little loyalty in this world, like true loyalty. When shit goes down, you, you better be ready, as Cypress Hill says. <laughs> yes. Oh, what a great song. Any Anytime you can shout out Cypress Hill. Yeah. I've always loved that scene on uh, "This Is the End," when Danny McBride is smoking, you know, and that's the song that's playing as he's making breakfast, and you know, kind of ruining everything for everybody without oh, them knowing it. Yeah, my God. great movie, great movie, great song. <laughs> oh hell yeah! But yeah, that scene is just like it goes out of your way to just make you feel so like this giant sense of despair like i'm surprised this movie did not end with them just obliterating kane in the street and then the rest of the town being like well maybe we should have helped him <laughs> yeah damn if we all stepped up yeah this probably could have been a lot easier jesus i got to imagine that that was the original ending and the studio was like no <laughs> this is the 50s you gotta have heroes he needs to win yes Oh. <laughs> fine we'll have the woman do it don't do that <laughs> yeah i'm sure oh. i'm sure this was not i'm sure this was not easy to sell yeah no it was not my god the middle <laughs> when, you know, it's right when um, right when hollywood writers and actors are getting thrown out for possibly being communists fred <laughs> uh, carl foreman go out of their way to make a super anti-American Western. <laughs> I mean, they were kind of asking for it. <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely were. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible stuff. Uh, the Ennio Morricone Award, we have... This is, this is our award dedicated to music. What do you got, Connor? This changed quite a lot. Uh, there's so many instances of this in this film when the theme song kicks in. And it works every time. But for me, it was the scene right before Frank Miller rolls into town when Will is in his, like in his office and the score just starts building. 
and building as it zooms in on everybody we've met, like at their face. And it zo- the score just like builds all the way to the train whistle. And you realize he's here. Yeah. Because the oh, whole man. movie is the buildup to Frank Miller. And it doesn't disappoint. It's, he's like a force of nature. It's, it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Very, very cool. I, I love the way they choose to build up the evil in this movie, you know, the subtlety of it, then the kind of force of it towards the end. Very cool. I, I went with the main title, you know, uh, do not forsake me. Oh, my darling. Just, uh, God, what a wonderful song. <laughs> and, you know, something that I had heard a few times and now I get to connect it with the movie that it's from. And I always love doing that. Well, and the theme song works on so many different levels. You know, Will doesn't want the town to forsake, you know, do not forsake me, this town that I love. Amy's like, do not forsake me, my husband. It's, it, it works for everybody. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's a great tune. <laughs> great. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, for sure. Something that I'll just kind of listen to in the car a lot now. Uh, I love it, but I, I like that you uh, found a piece of the score and that definitely is a piece that is, that is sort of moving. Like you said, it kind of does some of the anticipation work for you. And that's, that's one of the main tools of, you know, using music and in these Westerns, it's uber, uber important to do it in the right way, especially for your villain. You want you want it to not be over the top. You want it to be believable. You know, uh, like like obviously what's going on once upon a time in the West. You know, shout out to Ennio Morricone. Like harmonica, <laughs> the kind of the kind of we- weirdness of it, subtlety, kind of piercing style of it. it. It just sets it apart from what you're used to. And I like that you found something that definitely is like whoa, kind of piques your interest as we see the evil coming. Well, I mean, you know, in that scene, that bit where we like it lingers on the empty chair where Frank Miller said, I'm coming for you. Oh, hey. dude. Like, Jesus Christ. You just, you get goosebumps. It's so well done. And then the train whistle and you're like, shit, it's happening. <laughs> yeah. There's been, there's been a few moments in movies specifically, you know, through this show where I've thought about adding an award for best shot. And, and and that chair shot is one of them, you know, is like one of those shots, you know, damn, that was sick. You know, just for, you know, does all, all the work you need for it to do as far as storytelling goes, you know, um, oh, yeah. something that, something that obviously we talked a lot about with citizen Kane, you know, just that symbolism. Uh, I, I love, I love that stuff in high noon. Oh, fuck. Yeah. This is the one I'm very interested in. Uh, performance. Yeah, the Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. I, you're, I'm interested because you already said you're, you're, you're interested and you're curious. Because I went with Gary Cooper. <laughs> I, went, I went with the dog. Uh, he, he carries this movie a lot of the time. And while I pretty much love every performance and respect all of them, uh, our our villain is quite amazing when, once he hits the scene and there's just something about Cooper that I have found similar to, you know, guys that we've, you know, sort of embraced on the show guys like Humphrey Bogart, you know, just 
has this dominance that I, I kind of look for when I'm watching these old movies where I've read about these guys over and over and I'm clearly searching for that. Uh, and he delivers, he totally delivers in high noon and makes me want to watch even more. Uh, I already, before it just kind of levels it up. And I love when a actor kind of validates that justifies that and gives you more reason to watch more. I, I, I can't say enough about what Gary Cooper's doing in high noon. Uh, his eyes, his eyes alone uh, <laughs> say more than most people can with their, with their mouth. Yeah. <laughs> so sad. They're so like, you know, pissed off, but he, you know, he wants to be like, I thought you people had my back. Like you're letting me, you know, go out and die on my own. Like, you know, and I it's just, yeah, it's perfect. He does a great, great job. Uh, <sighs> yeah. Brilliant stuff. Who do, who do you got? Uh, it's, it's obviously different than Cooper. So it's, it may surprise you. And I, it surprised me. I was not, I did not expect. Um, it's Katie Gerardo as Helen Ramirez. I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Such a good call. That character is so well-written. She's, you know, in a tip, like in any other movie, she's the exotic beauty who barely speaks English and is just there to be like the femme fatale. In this movie, she is a strong, independent woman who has built her own business and is constantly pointing out when people are being fucking idiots. I love that so much. When she tells Amy, like, you know, if I if he was my man, I'd fight for him. Like, and she's and Amy's like, well, why don't you? And she's like, she's not my man. He's yours. So what are you doing here? Like, just stuff like that. It's so cool. And the whole time, you know, she just avoids all this shit because she's like, it's not my problem. But I'm rooting for him. It's I love her character so much. And I love that an actual Mexican-American actress played the Mexican-American character in 1952. Isn't that weird that we have to say that? Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. But she does such a great job. She has an Oscar nomination under her belt, too. Yeah, a lot of people that are involved in this movie do. Yeah, yeah, you have to cut it off somewhere. Jesus, <laughs> it's it's crazy. We talked about uh, when we did the apartment. It's like, oh my lord, everybody that worked on this has an Oscar, has an Oscar nomination somewhere or another. Jesus, <laughs> but that yeah, her just her connection to, to Frank Miller that ex, like that look they exchange on this on the uh, platform where she's just like, fuck off, <laughs> and he's like. I'm coming after you next. Like you got that vibe in his eyes. Like after I finish Kane, I'm coming after you. Like it's, oh yeah. She's just such a strong female presence. And I, I, I love that. Cause you didn't see that a lot. And uh, yeah, I rest my case. Hell yeah, man. I, that's a great call. I have no, no arguments. Uh, she's been nominated for broken Lance. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh 1954. Spencer Tracy's in that one. So yeah, I mean, that's mm. a guy we that's a guy we both really like. So of course we want to try to find our way to that one at some point. Oh yeah. I've got a lot of Spencer Tracy movies on my list. Let's see. It won one Oscar for best writing, Philip Jordan. Uh, and then yeah, Katie Gerardo was nominated. That's it though. That's all I got. Hmm. Sometimes those are the most interesting films. For sure. Broken Lance. Yeah. Spencer Tracy. Katie Gerardo. Definitely going to put that in the back, uh, in the back of my mind there. And it's uh, going to s- stir around and stew <laughs> <laughs> and one day I'll watch it. <laughs> I love it. I love the Philip Seymour Hoffman award. Cause it just gives us both a chance to kind of see what we see individually in the movie. 
Yeah. And, uh, and Gary Cooper is obviously, this is my first time watching it. Gary Cooper is obviously the guy I was kind of focused on this week, watching Sergeant York for the first time, watching high noon for the first time, you know, just kind of diving in, reading about him. And there was one time, uh, someone related to him commented on our Instagram. I remember that our our film guys on Instagram. And she's like, I believe it was, you know, he died in the sixties. I believe I want to say she was his, uh, great, uh, great niece. Is that how you'd say it? Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, and she was like, Oh yeah, this is really cool. You shouted out Gary Cooper. Cause it's like, yeah, that's, that's what we do. You know, so we want to keep these kind of actors and, you know, films and individuals and characters alive, you know, and just keep, keep the conversation going. That's, that's kind of what it's all about on Oscar Sunday. And Gary Cooper's of course, a part of that. I had totally forgotten about that. That was such a cool instance. Ah, random. We've had random run-ins with social media stuff. You know, who was it that, that liked our, liked something uh there was a random review you did for i, I do not want to oh, say yeah. the actor's name and just guess um session nine yes and, uh, it was uh jo- josh lucas josh lucas yeah and that was the weirdest like what random <laughs> i feel random bad as hell i was not generous to session nine <laughs> you're just like ah oh, i like this yeah i liked it on twitter and instagram or whatever like what the hell okay a neat little brush with fame you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's and and that's it and uh we got our last award of the night roger deakins yes the best the best scene or best moment of the movie what, what do you got here this was a moment i knew it was going to be the moment from the from the second i put on the movie because it was the moment that i remembered the most the first time because it's so satisfying and it's such a great fuck you it's right at the end of the film when Kane has dispatched the Miller gang and he just gets on his cart, he takes his badge and he throws it on the fucking ground. <laughs> it's just like, fuck all of you. I'm out. Like, that's what it is. It's none of you had my back. I'm still standing. Not my problem anymore. I'm going to go retire with my babe. Like, that's what it is. It's very much like, bye assholes. Just the idea to watch in the 50s, a U.S. Marshal, the hero of a Western, take the star off his chest and throw it on the ground like it's meaningless. Ah, it's it's beautiful. This film is timeless. <laughs> yeah, so good. So good. I, I, I wrote it down the last five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know. I'm just kind of blown away by, like you said, those actions from Kane at the end, him surviving, saying, fuck you, throwing it on the ground, all of it to the credits, to them writing off everything about it is like, it's pretty much a perfect ending to a movie. Again, I can't believe this movie's an hour and 25 minutes and just fits all this really cool storytelling character arcs, awesome action sequences, dialogue, all in one movie. And, with, and, it, and it caps it off with a legit ending. So cool. Carl Foreman, man, the guy knew what he was doing. Those commies can write a damn good Western. Hell yeah. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> it's uh, definitely the blacklist. That's a place to go if you want to watch cool movies. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, oh, man. 
I love it. Yeah, I love I love like what the ending of High Noon means kind of for movies after it, you know, and what's possible, right, for someone to do in their own mind, whether actually be able to be made as a movie. But now, you know, the Stanley Kubrick's of the world, you know, the, the smart Scorsese, the guys that are about to come on the scene are inspired and then can just be the next wave and stretch it even further. And I, I, I love seeing movies like that. I love seeing American movies that actually tried to push boundaries. It's so, so refreshing because some of them, some of them are, are just so redundant and so silly and, you know, just kind of flimsy in storytelling and high noon just doesn't cut corners. It doesn't. And Carl Foreman, especially like he, he would later bring this same um, like American anti-hero mentality to another film he wrote in 57 called the bridge on the river Kwai. So yeah. yeah. This guy was immensely talented and McCarthy couldn't put him, couldn't bring him down. He couldn't, he kept working and he made some incredible films and he's a guy I wish we talked about more. I agree. I agree. I think that we, I think we got a lot of, a lot of stuff here through this week, through this show, through this specific episode, uh, talking about high noon. It is one of those films that opens, opens kind of a lot of different doors, not just one, but a few, but a few. And, uh, I'm really grateful for movies like this, man. This is my first time watching it. I, I give it a nine overall, but it definitely can reach that place. It can totally reach that place of a 10. Definitely going to rewatch it in the future. Oh yeah. I, I give it an eight, but it's a very high eight. Like I can see this moving up for sure. Uh, yeah. Hell of a film. One of the best of the fifties and uh, that's just a celebrated uh, well-written Western. Very exciting. Yeah, man. You, you got anything else to say about, uh, about the fifties Westerns or high noon? No. Uh, sorry. I doubted you. Fred Zinneman. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what do we got going on next week? Uh, it's unavoidable. Uh, <laughs> it's unavoidable, like uh, like it is Kane dealing with these these fuckers in High Noon. Uh, next next week, we're doing something pretty special, something that we don't typically do on Oscar Sunday. We like to stay in our own lane and kind of just tackle old shit and specific things uh, from Oscar history. But we're gonna kind of pair next week's episode with what's going on in sneak preview. So. You know, Francis McDormand is kind of a big deal <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to the Oscars. We're going to be talking about Fargo, 1996. Uh, she, of course, won Best Actress for that film. And, you know, we're going to talk about the Coens, talk about her kind of her resume with the Oscars, uh, Francis McDormand. And the day after that is uh, when we'll be able to you and I talk about Nomadland. Yeah. So we 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 feel as though. Um, not just you and I, not, not we feel. A lot of people feel as though she's going to win Best Actress for that movie, Nomadland, at this uh, next upcoming Oscars uh, in April. So I just feel like it's necessary. I think she is fucking fantastic in pretty much everything I've seen her in. You know, North Country, you know, Three Billboards outside of Amy, Missouri, uh, any of the Cohen stuff, you know, Raising Arizona, you know, you could bring up any of those, like, random roles olive kitteridge uh, over on hbo like miniseries she's just awesome and like everything i've seen her in and of course fargo so i I feel i feel good feel good about doing 
I kind of tribute those two days, Sunday and Monday, uh, on Oscar Sunday and sneak preview for, for Francis. Absolutely. Fargo. Beautiful. I'm very excited to tackle our first Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. Yeah. Inevitably we'll be, uh, talking about, talking about the Coens next week, uh, which we haven't done in depth since we've pretty much started this show, uh, a filmgasm that is a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been a while since we've really been able to just dive into something that they've done and to highlight Fargo, which is like for you and I, we both like it, but it's not like in our top tier Cohen. So it's going to be super interesting to go into that. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Cool. You look back at the early days of filmgasm and you can see the seeds for Oscar Sunday and the sneak preview. We just didn't know what they were yet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we, we totally wanted to tackle everything. Oscar-nominated movies for sure and, and current movies for sure. So they had to have their own shows. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, uh, this week on Filmgasm, uh, Josh and I are tackling My Bloody Valentine in honor of Valentine's Day. Of course. And of course, uh, sneak preview, we're tackling the HBO Max release, Judas and the Black Messiah. Very excited. Uh, super, super excited, right? You know, uh, Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield is one, one of the better. That's, that's a 31-year-old and 29-year-old kind of in the, the thick of their prime. That's about as good as it can get for actors right now. Kaluuya's voice alone in this film, just from the preview, gives me fucking chills. And I can't believe he's British. I just can't. <laughs> it's unbelievable. He's got some like the best range of almost anybody working today. It's fucking phenomenal. I'm. I agree. I agree. So we got some good shit coming this week. Uh, have a good one, everybody. Keep watching movies. Mm-hmm.